Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Fall Obsession Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another Fall Obsession Podcast episode. I am Sam with Fall Obsession. I'll be hosting you guys for another week on our podcast here. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, hope you guys, first off, have gotten a chance to go back and listen to some of the recent episodes we've had, um, mainly the Texas Bighorn Hunt episode with our good friend Kelly Cato. Really awesome couple episodes there, so go back and check that out if you haven't. This week, though, we have an incredible story, an incredible honestly a scary experience in in a lot of senses with two very special guests here on our podcast uh trevor and tana from up in alaska guys welcome to fall obsession podcast happy to have you guys join us here this week yeah thanks for having us on looking forward to that well guys i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it over to you just initially starting out here um just to introduce yourselves and give our listeners just a little bit of background on yourselves and kind of where you're from what you typically hunt um before we lead into this story Okay. Yeah, I'll start. I'm, uh, my name is Trevor Schneider. I live in North Idaho, actually. I'm a realtor up here in North Idaho. Um, but I try to get away as hunting as, as much as I can, but typically I'm, I'm hunting elk, um, whitetail and mule deer is kind of the main things that I hunt here in Idaho, but I do everything I can to get up to Alaska as frequent as possible and just kind of start knocking all of those animals off the bucket list. Um, Dana, what about you? I live in Alaska, so kind of the mecca for hunting um, big game. I really love hunting moose. That's kind of what my husband and I really love to hunt are just big bull moose. We'll occasionally go sheep and goat hunting and 
you know, all the things that people love to do up here in Alaska, but moose and bears um, are kind of at the, at the top of our list. So, yeah. Gotcha. And I know, I know both of you have your own presence on, on social media and, and that's how, how we've kind of been following you guys and obviously learned about um, this experience we're going to talk about today. But um, Tana, your husband is also a, a pilot up there. Is that correct? Yeah, he is. He has flown in Alaska for over 10 years now, and he kind of started out in the seasonal business and then um, transitioned to full-time flying all year round for the National Park Service. And then, so he does that for work. He's, he's got an air taxi, and we don't have our own um, flying business. He flies for somebody else. And then we have our own Super Cub that we fly around for fun to get us to access all these cool places since we don't really live near roads. That, that's really cool. Awesome to have that, like you said, that access and that opportunity. It, it really opens things up. That's awesome. It's really awesome. I mean, Alaska, for those of you that don't know, is just so big, and there's kind of one main road system. And when you're off that road system, like us, we live 300 miles off of it, there's just no other way to get around. You either have a boat and you just have the close water access of the river, or you get in an airplane, and that's basically the only way to travel around, kind of like a car. Gotcha. Wow, that's pretty pretty awesome. So, guys, we'll we'll obviously we're talking about a bear hunt today, one that recently happened here for y'all. Let's discuss a little bit about how this opportunity came about. Why, how this hunt was on your radar in the first place? Who who got the tag? Let's let's set the stage for for this experience that y'all had. Yeah. So, how these tags work up? in Alaska is it's either um, kind of every animal is a little bit different on how the tagging system works but for a coastal brown bear like we were hunting here um, it's a little bit more difficult you either have to have a guide be an Alaskan resident or be a first of kin to an Alaskan resident and so um, kind of me and Tana just just decided we were uh, we actually did a moose hunt last fall together up there and um, we just decided hey Bear hunt, a bear hunt just sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, we usually don't put too much thought into it. It's just kind of a, oh, it sounds like fun. Let's do it. So you, you had the tag, correct, Trevor? Yeah, I did. Um, Tiana actually shot one um, up there with her bow two years ago or so. And so she wasn't able to get another one. It's a one in four year tag. And so she wasn't able to get another one. So it was just me. Uh, but Tana had to be there as my guide. Um, since she is the Alaska resident. Gotcha. So what kind of, what kind of planning goes into, into a trip like this? What, what all did you guys set up prior to and what kind of gear and, and weaponry were you, were you guys packing in anticipation for this hunt? Um, so initially we had planned for it to be a archery hunt. And so, um, for me, that was okay. I'll bring a bow and uh, we'll have Tana have a rifle just in case she has to back me up. Um, and then I have a pistol on my chest, um, just in case things get a little bit Western too. If she was backing me up with a rifle as we were getting charged, then I would have the pistol. And so we would have, um, two things to work out there. Um, I really like archery. I've kind of always liked the close encounters of archery. And so that was kind of why I really wanted to shoot for that. Um, but then again, shooting a big boar on the peninsula is a pretty high goal to have, um, with the bow. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of, what kind of bow setup were you running? Um, with, like you said, with this initial, the initial thought being an archery hunt. 
So I was running, um, I had a, I have a Bowtech, a 70 pound Bowtech. Um, I shot a moose up there in Alaska with it last year. And I mean, I, it was the quickest moose kill I've ever seen, even comparatively to rifles and stuff. So, I mean, oftentimes your, your archery kill is more lethal than a rifle is. And so, um, I just shoot a 70 pound bow with 125 grain broadheads on it and just your typical about 400 grain arrows. Um, nothing too fancy or special, but, um, gets the job done. Absolutely. Have you guys done a lot of hunting in the past together? I'm assuming so, because this is, this is a rather in-depth and, um, a little bit more of a hardcore, if you will, trip, a, a hunt to, to go on together. So what, what kind of hunts have you guys paired up on in the past to be able to go out there and, and get it done? Um, so just our whole family, I mean, that's kind of just our, how our family's always been. We've always done um, a lot of hunts together, um, kind of the, how we get quality time together as a family, really. Um, so we've done quite a few hunts together as kind of a family to where we had a couple of our extra brothers there. Um, I've done one up there with Tana's husband, the pilot. So I did a doll sheep up there with him. And so we've gone on quite a few pretty hardcore hunts. Um, can't kill the doll sheep back. Um, I can't remember what year that was. It was probably about seven years ago or so up there um, that I was up there with her too. And so we go on quite a few hunts together and most of them end up being pretty hardcore. Um, we don't really go with guides or anything like that. For the most part, we just all do do-it-yourself hunts. So obviously you guys were, I'm assuming, pretty excited for, for a hunt like this, a backcountry trip like this. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's always different when you go to Alaska, you know, I'm so used to hunting in Idaho to where you, um, you know, you bring some extra stuff to be prepared, but for the most part, it's, uh, if things get really bad weather-wise or something like that, you know, you can always go back to a warm pickup or, you know, you go back and take a warm shower, um, when you're done with the hunt, you know, normally it's, it's hiking a ways out if, uh, you know, if it rains or something like that, but it's really not that big of a deal if you're going back to a warm pickup, but nothing's ever like that in Alaska. You know, you're always going back to a tent. Um, you never can really get fully dry. It kind of just adds a whole new mixture of elements and preparation that has to be done if you want to live through it. So Tana, what, any thoughts or, or input from you as, as y'all were preparing for, for this hunt, for this trip, um, anything in particular that, that you were, specifically preparing for or excited about yeah so in alaska you know the biggest part of planning for a hunt are the logistics beforehand and my husband is really really good at this he pours over maps and he flies to different places and scouts and he is really wanting to you know put us in a very um you know dense population for that animal that we're going after I think a lot of people think that there's just animals running everywhere in Alaska, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, there are total dead zones, and then there are pockets of really dead populations of either bears or moose or wolf. And so he really does a lot of research and logistics and planning um, on the back end for months in advance. I mean, we started planning this uh, probably in February, where we were looking at maps and you know, every weekend he's looking at maps and he would be like, Hey, do you want to help me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so he really enjoys it. It's like his thing. Um, I kind of let him do a lot of the planning just because he's our pilot and he has to know where he can land and he has to know where he can get us into. And logistically, 
with the weight that we're going to have, where can he land and how many trips is it going to take and how much gas is he going to need for the airplane? So there's a lot of logistics on his end, even if he's not going on the hunt just because he's our transportation. So um, pretty much I would say like 80% of our success has to do with just the logistics and planning on how to get in there when it comes to hunting in Alaska. Um, so it's a, it's a really big part of it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's huge right there, and and having him with the capability to to scout and and plan, like you said, all that that that's that's huge. That's awesome. So, where exactly? And I'm not asking y'all to to give away anything if if there's any secrets or anything, but but give us an idea on not necessarily where the location y'all went to was, but you're talking about logistics and planning, Tana. What made y'all pick? the spot that y'all ended up going to? So, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty general. Like everybody knows where the biggest bears are. So you either hunt Kodiak, which is an Island here, or you hunt the Alaska peninsula and the peninsula itself is like the size of Idaho. I mean, it's like a whole state. It's huge. Um, and it's not populated or anything. There's a few villages kind of scattered about. So we do a peninsula hunt because we can kind of get there as far as airplanes go. We don't go to Kodiak, um, so that's kind of where we're hunting as far as the bears. That's where the main population is. For us, we wanted a place that, one, we could access um, by airplane pretty easily. My husband can go to a lot of short places, but when it comes to taking two of us in, like myself and Trevor, with all of our gear, it takes a couple trips in a super cab because we can't all fit in it. And when we're traveling pretty far to the peninsula, um, we just wanted to bring another pilot so we could kind of do it all in one run. So in that case, we needed a beach landing because not everybody has a super cabin and everybody can land in these short places where Adam can. So we wanted to be on the beach where we could easily, you know, get dropped off and anybody could come pick us up if needed. And then um, the beach is also really helpful because bears are kind of meandering along the beach in the spring like eating kelp and looking for dead whales or dead things on the beach and they're they're meandering along there so it's a really good archery opportunity when it comes to spring bear hunting is getting one along the beach so we wanted to have kind of like beach access we wanted to have a couple like drainages to be able to gloss up and mountains around us just have a little bit of everything just to have options and uh that's kind of where we decided to go. And then we also like to distance ourselves from other people. So my husband likes to know where guides go um, so that we can distance ourselves from them because it's such a big, you know, guided hunt. Um, so we try to distance ourselves from people. We'll also find a good spot that's, a, you know, good density for bears. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely, completely understand that. And if if the questions that I asked throughout our, our time together today, if they seem a little bit more uh, novice, like you're talking about mainly just two main areas that you can hunt, a bear hunt like this, I, I, I am novice when it comes to bear hunting. That, that's what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm from Texas, so we, we don't get up to Alaska very much. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, so y'all selected where you're going, you, you pick the location, you know, you have your plan and everything in place. Take us into this story. Take us into to traveling out there and arriving and, and how everything transpired. Yeah, so we kind of just started heading out there. Um, and so it's about two hours in the airplane from the closest town um, where we were going. And so it's, it's a while in the airplane. 
Um, our initial plan was to go through a pass that didn't work. It was all weather didn't. So we had to actually um, fly the coast. And so uh, it can be a little bit hairier flying the coast just because if you have an engine failure, you, you might end up in the ocean, not an ideal spot to end up. But um, we ended up flying the coast and were able to make it into the spot that we had planned to go. Um, so Adam and his buddy dropped me and Tana off and we got all of our gear and camp set up. We were actually there two days before season had started. Um, and kind of just waited it out. We were weathered in for those two days to where we pretty much just didn't come out of the tent until opening day of season. But yeah, it was actually, we were pretty fortunate to have a good first day of season. I mean, the weather broke. Um, so we started coming blast. And um, the interesting thing about Alaska this time of year is you have light about 18 hours, 20 to 20 hours a day, really. Um, it gets dark about midnight, gets light about five, six in the morning, depending on what the weather's like. So um, it's, it's daylight a lot longer than you're used to. And so you pretty much have to spend your whole day on the glass unless you're finding something to chase. And so it is a little bit more, um, I'd say mentally exhausting than other hunts I've done just because you're just trying to stay motivated to just be glassing all day long. Um, and you just don't really, um, you take your eye off the hill once and that's always one of the bears there. So, um, you just basically look at the same hillside a thousand times throughout the day and, and look at the same stumps and the same bushes and just, you know, think, oh, well, that could be a bear. And you, you just look at it so many times that eventually you're just like, okay, I know what that is. I know what that is. And, and eventually you'll see something on the hillside. Um, but, uh, the interesting thing about this time of year is it wasn't, uh, it was a little bit later of a winter than normal. So there was a lot less bears out roaming the beaches than we had expected. Um, and so that kind of threw a little bit of a, a wrench into um, what we had to do to get to the bears. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just kind of started going through and, and chasing bears. It was the second day before we found a good boar to go after. And so we went all the way and, and hiked a, a pretty good jaunt after this boar. Um, these bears are really smart. They live to be, you know, at least... Uh, 10, 15, 20 years old. And so they've been around for a while. Um, and so we actually got winded on the first four. Um, and so that just didn't work out. And so we spent a whole nother day on the glass and uh, it was our third day of hunting and we spotted a dot up in the snow. Um, you can kind of see the snow, uh, you can see the tracks through the snow pretty easily. And so that's kind of almost how you find a lot of the bears is you find a new set of tracks and you follow them and see if it leads to a bear, which in this case, it just led to a black dot in the snow where it looked like a bear was taking a nap. Um, but it was about a 10 o'clock at night. And so we obviously can't go all the way up there before it gets dark. So we just decided, okay, let's wait it out. Let's see what, uh, see if it's there in that same spot tomorrow. And then we'll kind of make a game plan on if we should go up there after him. It was about six miles away as the crow flies to where this dot was. And um, we haven't really verified what this dot is. You know, I'm sure it's a bear, but but is it a sow? Is it a boar? We don't know. It's just a dot in the snow. It's really hard to look at from six miles away. Um, and so, yeah, we just pretty much slept the night, woke up in the morning, um, saw that the bear was still in the same spot. And so we decided to start the stop. Yeah. Um, so we kind of took all day to get up there. There was a lot of like waterfalls and creek crossings and, um, you know, really thick brush and just kind of a, not exactly a, <laughs> an easy um, hike in. We knew it was going to be a trek. We knew it was going to be long. We had good weather, but we kind of knew because we had an inreach and we were messaging my husband asking weather. We knew that a storm was going to come in the next day. So 
we hiked all the way up there and I guess our main concern the whole time was one, is he going to ever like wake up and move or two, is the wind going to stay good? Because the wind kept swirling. It would be in our face and then it would be at our back. And then we're just like, shoot, what, what is the wind going to do? And you just never know in a Canyon. It's just kind of swirling all over uh, with, with updrafts and downdrafts over the hills. So um, we just kind of moved in slowly as we got closer and, and kind of made a game plan as we, uh I guess we, we left at like 6 a.m. and we didn't really get to the base of the mountain until like 3 p.m. I mean, it, it took a while to get up there. It was an all-day trek. And then we had to climb over 2,000 feet just vertical straight up to where he was. And as we started to get closer and we were a couple miles away, I looked up and he gets up out of his bed and moves up the hill and just starts walking. Um, at this point, we haven't really seen how big he was. Like we knew it was a big blob in the snow. We didn't really know what size of bear he was. We just figured that he was a giant and a world class bear. But yeah. as I saw him move and he started walking, you could just see how big he was, even from a couple miles away in the spotter. And I don't know, we were just kind of bummed because he got up and he walked away out of our sight, kind of behind this ridge as he was walking across the bowl. So we figured he smelled us. Our wind was kind of swirly and we weren't sure what the wind was doing up there. It can be different, but we're like, shoot, he smelled us. Um, so we were kind of in depression because we didn't see him anymore. And then I uh, looked up the hill and I saw another bear, another bear popped out. And so we kind of got set up on it. We were about 500 yards. He was coming down this kind of steep cliff and, um, I was looking at him like, hey, he's small. He's a small board. So I was like, I'll get him with my bow if I get a chance. I mean, we hiked all the way up here. <laughs> we didn't really want to leave without something. <laughs> so we're looking at this bear like, oh, do we, do we get, you know, do we go after it? Do we not? Um, and we were kind of set up on it about 500 yards, kind of set it down. And I don't know, Trevor, if that thing would have come down, would you have shot it with your bow? <laughs> um, probably not. I mean, I, I had kind of talked myself out of it at that point and Tana kind of talked me out of it too. I mean, so, so for me, you know, this is my first, um, coastal brown bear hunt. So my judgment on these bears isn't as good as somebody else would be. And so, you know, like Tana's, she's done a couple so far. She's taken her daughter on one. She's, um, killed one with her bow herself. And so she's been around these bears a little bit more. So I trusted her judgment more than I trusted my own. And so, I mean, I looked at it and I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't, you know, I, I know it's not near as big as the, the bear that we chased the second day where we were here, but if he gives me a good archery opportunity, maybe I'll take it. But it was just one of those, maybe, maybe. And then we, we never really started to um, pursue him at all. I mean, we would have had to get set up for an archery shot. And it was just kind of whatever, um, you know, and actually I think shortly after this point, Tana started glassing back to where, um, where that other bear had kind of disappeared to, because we now had a slightly new vantage point of where um, he had walked behind the hill. And she actually goes, I think I, I see a dot up there where it looks like the tracks end. And so we kind of evaluated it. And, and after a while, we decided, okay, that's the bear. He's sleeping. He's taking another nap. And so these bears are just getting out of the dens. They're kind of groggy. Um, they're, they just take long naps. And so the previous spot, he had napped for about 16 to 20 hours. Um, and so, you know, we're thinking, okay, well, he just laid down for another nap. So that's, this gives us some time to get up there on him. Um, and so 
we kind of just start heading up the canyon, um, and we had probably another half mile to go up the canyon before we just went straight up through cliff lines to start getting to the snow line. And so we worked our way all the way up to the snow line, and uh, Jenna reminded me that um, there was one point where I kind of stepped in what was the bear track that we were going after. And I mean, it just, it looked so huge. Um, I have a size 13 boot in my, my boot print basically just filled where the back pad was. And then you still have the toes and the claws past that. Oh my so when word. I stepped in it, I looked at her and I said, is it too late to change my mind? And so <laughs> I mean, these things are just, just massive. And I mean, I've been around some grizzly bears in North Idaho and they're, you know, not even remotely close to the same size as what these things are. And so, um, you know, we kind of just said that as a joke and kept hiking up the hill. Um, we got a pretty good visual on the bear about 800 yards. Um, and I decided, okay, this is still too far to shoot. Um, I want to be under 500. Um, I've shot long range guns for quite a while. And so, um, uh, it was about 10 years ago. I actually shot a deer at a thousand yards and dropped a white tail at a thousand yards with it. So I'm confident shooting long range, but on a bigger animal like this, I, I thought, okay, we need to be closer than 500 yards. Um, and so we kept working our way closer to it. Um, and basically the, the last little point before we would just have to be totally exposed in the middle of this bowl was 470 yards. And so that's where uh, I decided to set up. Um, Tana got camera set up and we just were like, okay, this is the spot. Um, he was actually still bedded down, but he was, he would move his head, he'd move his leg and stuff like that. So he was kind of half awake, half napping. Um, and you know, typically I'd like a, a stand up shot, but in this scenario, I, like I said before, he had laid there for 16 hours. And so it's like now at this point, it's, it's probably closer to eight o'clock at night. And it's like, okay, well, we don't have 16 hours to sit here up in this cold snow and, and possibly wait for this thing to get up. And so um, I just had to take the shot with it in the snow. It was still a pretty good shot. I had um, a good visual of, of most of the bear's body, a pretty good portion of it. And it was kind of laying broadside in the snow. Um, and so I got set up on it, um, took the shot. My first shot was a good shot. Um, and then I proceeded to... Um, Put a couple more bullets in it. I had shot a total of four times, and three of them were were good connect shots. Um, and so at this point, the bear had gotten up, and it just looked like he was going to go down about every couple steps. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, this bear's he he's done. I mean, he's got a couple bullets in him, but now my gun jammed, and so I'm sitting there trying to get the gun um, to unjam. It's just the bolt would would go all the way forward, but when you went to push it down, it would only go down two thirds of the way. It wouldn't close all the way. And so um, we were kind of panicking, but at the same time thinking, okay, this bear is going to die before it gets here. It just looks like it's just having a hard time. I mean, there was blood coming out of both sides, like, uh, you know, kind of when they breathe, when you get lungs and it, it shoots blood out the side and out their mouth. And I'm just thinking, there's no way that this thing can make it to us. And it started to work its way toward us. Um, and in the snow, it's, it, it was pretty plain as day where we were at. And so that kind of made it a little bit harder than normal because, um, you know, typically you could try and, and pack yourselves in the brush or something like that, but this bear could see us plain as day. And so he was kind of working his way toward us. And so once he'd got, it was probably, I'd say 200 yards from us. Um, I looked at Tana and I said, okay, we have to run. And so, uh, we basically just took off running down the hill with, with our jammed rifle, the bow and the pistol. And so we left all of our gear right where I had set up for the shot. 
and we were just running down the hill as fast as we could. My thought was that by time, I, I still didn't think that um, the bear was going to get all the way to us. I was just thinking, we'll buy a little bit of time, get back down this hill. Um, and so we just ran all the way down the hill. There was only about three rocks on the hillside that were the only sort of cover. I mean, we're up in the alpine. There's no trees. There's no brush. Um, it's just a big, snowy alpine basin. And so there was these three little rocks on this windblown ridge that, that we kind of tried to tuck ourselves behind. They're not very big rocks. Um, and overcomes the bear at about 150 yards. And at this point, it's picking up speed. Um, and it's very clear that now it's going to make it to us. There's no chance that we're going to be able to run away from this thing. Oh. And so he was coming down the hill and he was coming fast. And it was kind of interesting. You know, I've had a couple of people ask, you know, was it tracking you? And it really wasn't. We Our tracks came down the hill and side hill to the rocks. And he, when he crested the hill, uh, you know, about a foot from our gear, he seen us and he came running directly at us. He cut off our tracks. He was not following our tracks. And so um, he was just coming straight for us. He wanted to kill us. And so um, I got just prepped. My first shot, I was kind of uh, trying to still kind of hide behind the rocks. Um, and I just had one, I could basically see his head over top of one of the rocks as he was running at us. And I tried to sneak one right under his jaw, which was right above a rock. And I actually hit the rock um, and it kind of splattered in his face a little bit. Um, and from that point, it's like, okay, I have four bullets left. I'm shooting a revolver. And so I have four bullets left and he's 15 yards in closing. And so I had, uh, caught the hammer back on this one because I thought, okay, this, this has got to count. And so, um, I pulled the hammer back, shot, hit once in the chest and then did another one in the chest. And he was rounding the last rock at about five yards. Um, when I hit him in the shoulder, um, with my fourth round total, but my third pistol hit. And so, um, that shoulder hit was the one that made him kind of, I, I almost saw it in his face, the cringe, um, before he turned around. And then I got one more and then broadsided about eight yards after he turned around. And that was my last pistol round. And so we just continued to run. Um, it was just, a, I don't have enough, you know, I had five more rounds, but you have to reload and, and, you know, it's not like a clip where you just pop one out and pop a new one back in. I've got to, you know, reload this revolver um and so we just took off running and kind of from this point i'm thinking we got to get high ground you know the only reason that bear closed so much distance on us is because he was above us and so um you know i don't think now i'm thinking this bear has seven bullets in it now i don't think it's going to be able to come up the hill at us um but we're still in just a total panic weren't really able to realize what happened um, you know, Tana says that her life flashed before her eyes right there. I did, I just would say that I didn't have time for that to happen. Um, I kind of just had time to react. I had thought for, for, you know, a couple moments, what is this going to feel like to die? Um, you know, that didn't cross my mind, but other than that, it's, you know, Tana's got six kids to get back home to and, and all the pressure rides on my shoulders that she gets back home to them. And so, um, it was more or less fight or flight. And honestly, after the second pistol shot, when I hit him, that was more of a blur. I can still picture very well, um, you know, that bear running at us 20, you know, 15 yards. Um, and then those next couple shots were almost just a blur to me, um, other than just the last one and thinking, oh yes, he finally turned, you know, it was, it was almost just instinct that took over at that point. And I'm kind of glad that my instincts were, were good enough to do it. Um, I don't shoot a ton of pistol, but um, 
I do shoot a decent amount. And from now on, honestly, I'm going to be shooting a lot more just so that I'd be more comfortable in that situation. But anyways, we worked our way back to our gear. I'm just thinking we just got to keep our high ground. Tana had said, I thought I heard it slide. So that was a pretty comforting feeling um, to, to hear that. But at the same time, we don't know anything, you know, it could still be alive down there. Um, but once we got back to our gear, I was able to get a visual on the bear and he had actually fallen off the rock that I had shot him on with the pistol. And he had um, basically started a little wet avalanche slide that he was down in um, and he was just face down in it. And I could tell he wasn't moving. Um, and so we we had a little bit of screaming for joy there um, where where when we finally got that visual on him that he was dead. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Holy cow. So so you you took the last shot with your revolver and and I get from what I'm gathering, you didn't even wait to to see if if he fell or if or if he went in a different direction. Y'all just at that point, you just turned and went went up the hill. Am I am I seeing this correctly? Yep. Yep. That's right. Because like I said, I mean, he was on that last shot. He was eight yards, but for a bear that size to close, I mean, that's two or three steps for it really to get to you. And so my thought was by the time that I reload this revolver, this thing's already going to be here, you know? And so it was just, we need to gain distance from it again so that we have time. Um, And so, yeah. So, I mean, we just pretty much kept running after that last shot, but again, Tana had thought she heard it slide. And so I didn't hear that whatsoever. I mean, at the same time, you know, I had shot nine times total. And so I'm sure my ears weren't working perfectly. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, but, but that was pretty comforting for, for me, I think, and her too, to, to hear that slide, at least that it was down the hill below us. I was thinking, okay, if it's below us, you know, we would have more time to react. It's going to have a harder time getting up to us. Um, you know, it was, it, it was really the reason that it got to us so fast is because it was uphill of us in the snow and it was just, they can move so fast in the snow downhill. They they almost slide on it instead of, instead of running as much. It's almost like they, they're swimming downhill is almost how it is. And yeah. so they can just close ground really, really quick. And that's what made him close ground on us so quickly. And so it was just, let's get the high ground, let's stay above him. And then we, we need to see him dead before we even start going down. Yeah. Um, it just, just wasn't even an option to start going down unless we get a visual on him that he's down there and not moving. Yeah. So I know, I know Tana has, has her perspective of this story real quick though. And, and I, I'm think I might've look overlooked it earlier when we were talking, but what kind of rifle and what kind of pistol are we talking about here? So um, it was a 338 Remington Ultra Meg was the rifle, um, bolt action, and uh, the pistol was a 454 Casul. And so uh, both big guns, um, you know, typically that that rifle round we usually don't have any trouble with. I mean, we've shot a lot of animals with that thing, and it's just you know it's a it's a pretty big caliber gun. The loads are loaded hot. Um, and so usually we don't have a problem with it. Um, in hindsight, I would have, would have not shot one of these bears more than 300 yards with it still. Um, but still a big gun. And, um, the 454 Casul is about the bare minimum you would want for a pistol, um, as far as bear protection up there goes. Um, and that's what we had. And, um, you know, we were shooting 360 grain Buffalo bore rounds out of that pistol. 
And luckily it did the trick, but I mean, those are big bullets. If you were to shoot that when you don't have something charging at you, it's, it's one of those guns that two shots in your hand and wrist are hurting pretty bad. Yeah, absolutely. So Tana, Trevor pretty much took us from the time y'all hit snow all the way until emptying his revolver into this bear. I, I know you have your perspective and your side of this. So tell us a little bit about how all this went down for you and from, from you looking at it. Yeah. Um, climbing up to it. I mean, I started to get a little anxious now that I look back at it. I <laughs> probably a sign that I was a little anxious as we were climbing up there. But part of me also thinks it's like buck fever. Like sometimes I can't tell the difference between being anxious versus like buck fever. <laughs> so, um, I think I was a little hesitant as we got up there just because of the situation. It wasn't quite ideal, but I mean, in Alaska, I can't even tell you how many times I've had a perfect ideal situation. Probably never. I mean, if I always waited for a a perfect shot or a perfect situation, I would never, ever come out successful. It just never really works that way. There's always something that is going against you, whether it's um, just where the animal's position or how far away it is or the terrain or the weather or the wind. I mean, it's just, it's really tough sometimes. And so I've just learned to kind of do the best with what you've got. And in that situation, we just had to take that shot. That was our only option. Otherwise we just climb down and leave and we don't even try. And so, um, I'm kind of a, we can do it. We can do it kind of person. I'm very uh, determined. And so we uh, got all set up. We really thought nothing of it. I mean, we've shot hundreds, like probably a couple hundred big game animals with this gun before, including several bears. So I never even thought twice about being worried about that happening, about the primer getting stuck in there and the, the bolts not closing. I mean, nobody ever expects that to happen with their rifle. And when that happened, I guess I just really started to feel panic a little bit because I was the one ranging. I was taking ranges for him and, you know, it was at 470 and then like he wasn't even moving fast and I'd range and he was like 320 and I'm like, man, he is closing distance fast. And then I'd range him again and he's under 300. I mean, just within seconds, he was just, even though he looked like he was moving slow, like Trevor said, they just kind of slide and they're like a sled and they just, their stride is so long that they're covering distance really quickly, even if they look slow. And that's when I started to panic when I was ranging him and the ranges were just like getting cut in half. And then he just getting closer and closer and closer. And then he disappeared um, at about 200 yards. We couldn't really see him anymore. And at this point, I'm just like, Trevor, like, you got to, you got to get this done. You got to get it. He's like, I can't, it's stuck. It's jammed. And then when he said, we got to run, um, I mean, I was just in a daze. I went into like full fight or flight survival mode as you do when you're running from a bear and, um, you know, running through three feet of snow when you're five feet, five inches like me versus Trevor, who's over six feet tall is kind of difficult. Um, And so it's just very tiring. You're just plowing through snow, running for your life, hoping that this thing isn't going to try to kill you. But we know at this point that he's going to try and he's coming. Um, But we, like Trevor said, we're just kind of like hoping he's going to die before he gets to us. Um, So as we were running, I was just pretty freaked out, to be honest. Um, At that point, I was like, this this is it. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. 
And as we got behind the rock and saw him come over the hill, that's when I knew it was over because I mean, not that I didn't trust Trevor as a shot, but, or, you know, behind the pistol, but when you see something eat lead from a big rifle and come at you still, um, it's kind of hard to trust a little pistol and wonder if that's going <laughs> to save your life. Um, so as I saw it come full bore at me, like Trevor said, my life flashed before my eyes. Um, I pretty much wrote off my family and like, I just, I said goodbye to my husband and my kids and I just kind of hid behind the rock and prepared for impact because I didn't have a weapon. I felt uh, pretty helpless. And then, you know, I kind of peeked up over the rock to see how close it was. And within seconds, he was, you know, less than 30 yards coming right at me um, with his mouth open, you know, huffing. I just see like this huge ball of fur, a 10 foot bear coming full board. It's pretty, pretty terrifying. And Trevor starts shooting it. And I just hid behind the rock again. I was just, I was trying not to make eye contact because every time he saw us, it would just give him a little more adrenaline to run faster, run harder. Um, And so once he like shot it at that five yards and it turned, I peeked over and I saw him turn. I actually brought my phone up because I was trying to keep the video going. Um, I brought my phone up to video that last shot at, you know, close to 10 yards um, before he went over the hill and slid down. But even with the slide that I heard, I didn't know if he was dead. And um, then Trevor's like, let's keep going. We got to keep running. And my body was just drained. I mean, even with fight or flight and the adrenaline, I almost had so much that I couldn't move. Um, so my nervous system kicked into the run from the run to the stay still. And I just like couldn't get my legs to move. I kept falling in the snow, trying to run uphill. And Trevor's like, come on down. This is life or death. You got to come. And I, I just kind of like laid in the snow for a second, like just, I'm just going to die here. (laughs) I mean, I just felt so helpless, really. Um, And I was just terrified. I I went and crawled up in the rocks and just kind of like went in the fetal position and was shaking and praying and just trying to like process what had just happened and wondering if he was going to come back up the hill. I mean, after watching what he did after those three good shots, um, I, I knew that we turned him with a pistol, which was a good thing, but I wasn't sure that he was going to stop. Um, so yeah, it was all pretty terrifying for me and I've never had that happen before. I felt like I was very near death and I had kind of come to terms with it. I just was like preparing for impact. That's all I can explain it as. And as we kind of sidetold back to our gear to see if he was alive or if we could see where his tracks went. And Trevor saw him piled up at the bottom of that little avalanche wet slide. Um, I just had like, I don't even know. It's just hard to explain, but a pretty big sense of relief. Like, holy crap, we just survived. But we didn't really feel happy or excited because we were still up there. We still had to make it out. We still had to get off the mountain. We still had to survive the other bears in the area with only five more pistol shots. And so it was it was like, yeah, we survived, but it also felt kind of like halftime, like this isn't over yet. We still have to make it off this mountain. So, yeah, it was definitely top craziest experience in my life. But honestly, like today is probably the first day that I've felt pretty normal. Um, I had a lot of flashbacks the last few weeks. I just – I couldn't get motivated to do anything. I didn't feel like myself. 
Um, so today, like two weeks later, I'm finally starting to kind of feel somewhat normal again after that. It's pretty crazy. That That is insane doesn't even describe it i'm i'm sitting here listening to y'all I, I first off i can't even imagine for one having something like that happen uh i i i can't honestly say i have anything to legitimately compare that to and it's just that's that's crazy i i want to i want to back up just a little bit real quick Hey guys, sorry for cutting y'all off again, uh, mid-episode and kind of mid-conversation. I know I just did that with uh, these last couple episodes we had about the Texas Bighorn Hunt with our good friend Kelly Cato, um, but like that conversation, this conversation was uh, pretty lengthy. It went well over an hour, which was awesome. It's a, it's a great talk that I had with Tana and Trevor about this bear hunt that they had. Um, but because of just how long it was, we decided that we were going to take it in the editing room again and split it into two different week's episodes. So you guys are going to have to tune in again next week for the rest of the story. And trust me, you guys are not going to want to miss it because these guys, not only we do we hear another side of the story and more details from Tana, but we also hear about the challenges that they went through actually getting this bear out of the environment that it was in. So be sure that you check out part two of this story next week on our fall obsession podcast i know we just recently took a two-week break um, from publishing new episodes but we are back to publishing every single monday morning so be sure that you hit that fall and subscribe button on whatever your favorite podcast app is that way you get notified whenever we publish a new episode um, we really enjoy sharing our content with you guys follow us on social media facebook instagram subscribe to our youtube channel we got new videos coming out every week and uh, check out fallobsession.com. That is our website. That's where you can find all of our content on there, as well as our um, products and apparel. We have a turkey call that's on sale right now, as well as our brand new American Pride t-shirt that we just dropped a few days ago. So you guys be sure that you go and, uh, and check that one out as well. Pick you up one. They're available for pre-order right now. They'll be shipping here in a couple weeks. And that's about all I have for you guys. Really appreciate you guys checking us out, listening to this podcast episode, and I look forward to um, continuing this conversation next week on our Fall Obsession podcast with Hannah and Trevor. We'll catch you later.